Well, the quarterback of the losing Super Bowl team, Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson, said this week, really early in the week actually, I think we have the quote, at 26 years old, I won't allow one play or one moment to define my career. The next day, he was uh, volunteering at the children's hospital and did throughout the week. I mean, here's a, here's a kid, I mean a kid, really, for some of us, maybe, maybe he's an adult for others, but for me, a kid, who just looks at this setback like it's a weekend getaway, and, and everything's fine. He's on the road to come back. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us could see our setbacks as a weekend getaway? Like, ah, it's two days, and then I'm totally back on the road to come back. But most of us, our setbacks are much, much harder than that. I mean, for some, it it might be as big but kind of humorous as as cleaning out the garage. Now, I don't know if if you're like, oh, um, my friend Sue who's organizationally challenged, and she has a two-stall garage, but you can't put a car in it. Uh, There's there's so much stuff that, that when she opens the garage and looks at the, the work that needs to be done, I mean, literally, I watched her stare at it for 10 minutes straight. She sees the boxes, She sees the bikes. She sees all the things that she needs to move, the piles and piles. And and most of it isn't junk. It's not like she's a complete hoarder. She's not. And she wants to do the right thing, but, but she knows the right thing is the hard thing. And she starts mapping out like, okay, I gotta take this out and I gotta move this over here and I'm gonna have to put it out in the driveway and people are gonna have to look at it. And just to get it, out so that I can get it back in so I can get it in the right spots. And, and she just stops after 10 minutes, completely overwhelmed, and goes back in the house. Now, it could be as funny as, as that to as serious as something um, like a health setback. Uh, when I met this guy, Mark, he told me that, uh, he kind of joked around, he's Uh, a few years older than me, but he told me that when he got married and just a few years after marriage that he was the same weight as I was, am, and um, we're about the same height, and so when I I met him, he was was a little bit bigger than me, uh, a a little more, maybe maybe 50 pounds more, and so we started chatting, we kind of became friends, and he talked to me about his work and how, how it was pretty stressful, and he talked to me about how one of the coping mechanisms that he had for his stressful job was that um, it went so fast that he often ate out a lot. So he didn't particularly love that he ate out a lot, but, you know, he did it. And he, he also then talked about how sometimes his afternoon snacks became a Dr. Pepper and Cheez-Its or Dr. Pepper and, you know, Ruffles or Dr. Pepper and some other, you know, Cheetos, these really, really healthy snacks that have cheese in them, right? Cheese product. And so a few years later, I run into Mark, and he's now at the gym, or about to go to the gym. He's now not just 50 pounds heavier than me, but he's double my weight. And I said, um, hey, I didn't, I didn't know you worked out here. And he said, oh, I, 
I just went to the doctor over Christmas, and I was having some chest pain and some arm pain, and he was in his late 30s, early 40s, so, so he didn't think too much of it, but when the doctor came back and said, um, you will not live one more year unless you make some drastic changes. You need to work out. You need to eat right. You need to figure out how to let go of work stress. And if it doesn't happen, you won't be here. So not just overwhelmed, but shock, dis- discouragement. But if, but if he resigns himself to be defeated, he's dead. I don't mean to get morbid, but, but the setbacks that we face can be as, as I would say, non-life-threatening as cleaning out the garage to as life-threatening as a giant health setback. And everything in between. We go through relational setbacks. We go through vocational setbacks. We get in a, a fight with a friend, and we're not sure how we're going to exactly come back from that. We go through an experience at work where we we're might be changing jobs, where now we have to use a little bit of a different skill set, or we have a boss that gets changed, and our manager now doesn't work with us the same way that our old manager works with us. And, and the list could just go right down the line of all the different kinds of setbacks, but the thing they have in common is that no matter which one we're in, There's one question we always all ask. When can I be done? When can I start my comeback? doesn't matter if you've been in it for one day and you're Russell Wilson or if you've been in it for a year or five years or ten years. When can I be done? When can I get out of setback and start my comeback? You know, I really think that God's word has the answer today. It's in Exodus 5. And we see God's good plans for his people. They just have to start them. And often we think we're ready for the road to come back, and the road gets harder. Maybe it's because we don't see immediate progress, or maybe it's because we get discouraged. But we, st- we want to start down this road, and in something, some way, we, we either get discouraged, we get overwhelmed or we don't see this immediate progress, and we're like, I don't know. You know, research shows that it takes 21 days from a practice to become a habit. But did you know that if you skip just one day, you have to start the whole process over again? And, and what percentage of people do you think have made New Year's resolutions are still doing them now on February 8th? It is very low. The questions that we ask are what determine when we can get out of comeback. When everyone's asking, when can I get out of comeback? When when can I start? It's the wrong question. But I think through this episode that we see in the scripture, we find the right questions. So if you are just joining us, we've been in the series called Exodus, this journey from comeback to set, setback to comeback, and we've looked at, um, one, how did I end up in a place of setback or in a place of exodus? And, and setback is really when life sends us a surprise and we end up in a place that we never thought we'd be, and sometimes we fear we'll never leave. But 
when we're in that place, we talked about how we end up there. We talked about how we need to respond when we're there. We talked about why God let us go into that place. And we talked last week about what keeps us from coming out, what keeps us from really entering the comeback. And, and today we see that people can get out of setback when they're ready to ask the right questions. I see it in Exodus 5. Exodus 5 starts with this journey where, where Moses approaches the Pharaoh, Pharaoh the king of Egypt, to let the people go on a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship God through festival and sacrifice, and then to take this three-day journey out. Seems reasonable since they've been, you know, free labor for, I don't know, their whole lives. 400 years, we find out. So, so a week vacation maybe, maybe is reasonable. But, but Pharaoh heard this and he saw it as you're bored and you're lazy. And so he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, since you're so bored, I'm going to put a heavier task on you. You know, if you're a parent or if you're an aunt or if, if you've ever worked with children and you see them bored, don't you do this? <laughs> I need to give you more to do. Well, that's Pharaoh's logic. I'm going to put a heavier task on them. And they had to do the same amount of work as before, but with less resources. See, when the work gets harder, what do we choose? And I think we see it first with the Israelite foreman. So skip down to verse 14 if you're following along in your Bible. We're kind of going to skip around in the story to get the grasp and length of the story. After this happens, the task gets harder. Pharaoh puts this new law into place. The, the Egyptians had these taskmasters, or people that were in charge of the Israelites, except in between them they put these foremen. The scripture, I think, calls them here overseers. It's kind of like a middle manager. And it says that the Egyptian Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers. And they, they demanded, why haven't you met your quota of bricks? Why haven't you met your quota yesterday or today? It's like this constant belittling. And then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw to make the bricks, and yet we are told, make the bricks the same amount as before, when you gave us the straw. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh's response wasn't that kind. Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now, go to work. You will not be given any more resources. You must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not going to have the bricks reduced for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they went and found Moses and Aaron, the leaders of their people, who were waiting to see them. And they said, may God look at you and judge you because you've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. You've made us a stench to him. So unpleasant. And now his officials have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Imagine, I don't think it's too hard, that you're in a job where you have a boss's boss who asks for more 
with less. How do you respond to that? When the task gets harder, do you choose the hard to get to the good? Or are you like the taskmasters who tell themselves, well, we've got to do what the boss says. Or, or, look, I just see these resources and I know it's not enough. Or, hey, you treated, they're treating us, me this way, so I'm going to treat them this way. I'm just going to do what I see around me. Or when things get impossibly hard, I think the foreman choose to complain and blame. Well, you know, we made this amount of bricks last year, and now we're kind of underperforming, so it's someone else's fault. And in this case, it kind of was. But is that the story we should be telling ourselves? See, when Moses gets this, when Moses leaves there, he goes and talks to God, and God gives him promises. He gives him encouragement. And Moses brings these back to the Israelites, and it says in the next chapter, in the next episode of the story, that they couldn't listen to him because they were so discouraged by the harsh labor. They didn't listen because of their discouragement and harsh labor. You know, when we want to ask, when can I get out of comeback? When can I get out of setback and get on the road to comeback? We're asking the wrong question. I think the right question stems from this bigger question. What's the story you tell yourself about yourself when you're in a setback? I know it's a little deep, but, you know, I trust you guys. What's the story you tell yourself about yourself when you're in a setback? See, the Israelite foremen were telling a story to themselves about themselves in this situation. Well, it's Pharaoh's fault, because Pharaoh's in charge. Like, I went over top of the Israelite slave drivers, I went right to the boss's boss, because he's in charge. And he just made the law, and I can't do anything about it, so I just have to endure this. And you know what? It's Moses' fault, so I'm going to go blame him. That's the story he's telling. That's the story I see them telling themselves. And in the midst of it, they just get discouraged. Now imagine when you've tried to do the right thing and it's gotten harder, not easier. You know, when my friend Mark was told that he, it would be a miracle if he lasted another year, if he didn't do a complete overhaul in his life, he was told he was going to he was gonna have to get up to 60 minutes of working out six days a week. He was going to have to remove beverages like pop, or soda, or whatever you call it, he was going to need to reduce his caffeine intake by 50 to 75%. For some of us, that would be like death. And up his green vegetables, cut his carbohydrates, cut his fats, like potato chips and Cheez-Its and the other cheese product things that don't have any nutritional value, and no more fast food. I mean, you want to talk about choosing the hard to get to the good. You just pick one of those, and it might be a really tough place. And he knew it was going to be incredibly hard, and he knew he couldn't do it without some real accountability. So he got a workout partner to meet him at the gym at 6 a.m. 
or 6 p.m., depending on where his work schedule was. He scheduled bi-monthly visits to the doctor so that he could start getting these check-ins during the time. He started looking for some safe friends or even a therapist if he couldn't find any safe friends so he could start dealing with his work stress. And I saw him three weeks in. And he wasn't a completely different person, but it was hard to tell because he, he had worked out so hard and so much that he looked like he had just come out of the pool when he had just come off the track. I mean, he was up to 19 minutes that he could walk around the track straight. And he said it was so, so hard. But he said, when you find out that your heart is just a ticking time bomb and it's only a matter of when it's going to go off, not if, it changes things. And, and it was incredibly motivating. He said something like, my life is worth this work. That's maybe the question that we can ask when we're like, I don't know what you mean by what's the story I tell myself about myself. I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, then ask this question. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? Meaning, who is worthy of your service? This guy was like, my life is worthy of this service, this work. Because to the Hebrews, the word service and the word work and the word worship are all the same word. And, and so who I serve is who I work for. It's who's worthy of my work. It's who's worthy of my service. So who are you focused on in your setback? The foremen, these people, these Israelite people that were complaining, they were focused on all the other people and their harsh problems, and I'm not minimizing them. They were harsh. Just like I wouldn't minimize your setback if you were in a place that were like, you don't understand how bad it's been. I probably don't, but God does. Over and over in the story, he does. Who do you cry out to? Not just who are you focused on in this question of who do you serve, but who do you appeal to when things get hard? When things get harsh, who do you cry out to? Because guess what? Here's the answer. The one you cry out to is the one that you're serving. The Israelites don't realize it, but they're praying to the wrong God. Pharaoh, don't you see how hard this is? This is the perspective they have. This is the view in Egypt. There's a little chart here. This is what people think how the world works in Egypt. Pharaoh is the most important. He is considered birthed by the gods. And all the other gods in Egypt come after that. The Hebrew god, which is the Christian God, which is Jesus, is not one of them. Then there's the Egyptians, and of course the taskmasters, and the Israelite foremen, and the Israelite slaves, and the other peoples. They're at the bottom. They're crying out to Pharaoh because this is how they view their life. This is the story they're telling themselves about themselves. I'm down here, close to the bottom, and this is the person in charge. you cry out to is who you serve. It's who you worship. Then we got Moses in the story. Moses is 
Moses has been so fun to look at. I, I used to think Moses was pretty incredible, just made a couple of mistakes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Moses makes a ton of mistakes. He has no self-confidence at all. And it's so good for me to hear someone like that. But he helps us figure out the second right question. Because when God shows them the picture of the sacred future, the, the promised land that God wants to take these people to and make them his people, that's, that's what I'm calling comeback here. Moses is like, yeah. And Moses tells his brother because he was afraid to speak. And his brother and he tell the Israelites. And they believed him. And they're like, yes, we're convinced that God is going to take us there. Yes, they worshipped God in the midst of that right before chapter 5 starts. They bowed down and worshipped God. And then after that, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, okay, here's what the Lord says. You need to let our people go on this journey. He's like, who's the Lord? I'm not going to listen to him. And Moses says, no, 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 you don't understand. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. He wants us to do this. We have to do this. If we don't go and do this, he might strike us down with plagues or the sword. Sound familiar? It's what the Israelite foreman just said. You don't understand. You put a sword in Pharaoh's hand. Pharaoh's most important. Moses is at least getting it a little more right. No, no. God might strike us down with plagues or the sword. So Moses puts God, the Lord, the Lord God above Pharaoh. He adds our God to the list. I think we got a little flow chart of that one. See? Isn't that magical? It's great. But this was really helpful for me to think about answering this question of what's the story I tell myself about myself? Let's do it for Moses. What's the story that Moses is telling Moses about Moses in a setback? Well, there's the Lord who's above Pharaoh. And then there's the other gods, and then there's the Egyptians, and then the taskmasters, and then the other peoples, and the Israelite foreman, and Moses would put himself down there. And so, well, good. Good job, Moses. You, you put God above Pharaoh. I don't want to, like, over-spiritualize that. Sometimes we don't do that. If we're in a work situation and our boss is being, like, really, really harsh, we'll pray to God the Lord, but but then we'll go to work and forget that the Lord comes with us. And we look at this person like they're Pharaoh. The second question, the second right question, when we want to ask, when can I get out, is what do you serve? Meaning like, what do you believe about your efforts? Because Moses was getting some of it right. He really was. He figured out that, that the Lord goes above Pharaoh, but, but things start to get harder, and then Moses gets focused on his efforts. Towards the end of the story, after the Israelites come and tell him how, how much of a stench they are to Pharaoh, it's Moses' fault. Moses goes back to God, and he's like, God, why have you brought this trouble on our people? Why have you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, it's been nothing but trouble. And you haven't even rescued your people. Like sort of a prayer to God, yeah? But do you catch what he's focused on there? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, this has been a problem. He's focused on his efforts. If you think I'm stretching it, after God talks to him, 
and tells him and reminds him of the promises. He goes and reports this to the Israelites, but remember we just talked about they were too discouraged to listen. So Moses goes back to the Lord and he says, if the Israelites won't listen to me, then why would Pharaoh listen to me? Besides, my lips don't work. Remember, I have a speech problem. Oh, that's right, because... Because does Moses really think that if he gets a perfect speech out to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's going to change his mind? Oh, right, right. If, if, I, if my efforts are so amazing, then, then Pharaoh will just totally let us go. Mm-hmm. No. No, because our story is, is important for us to think about right now, but it's not the whole story. And Moses is just forgetting that a little bit. He's, he's focused on his efforts. So if you're like, ah, what do, what do I serve? That seems like too abstract of a question. How about this? What I keep thinking about shows me what I serve. What I keep focused on, what I keep perseverating on, shows me what I worship. Have you ever been in a place of setback and you're like, oh, I got to do this and 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 I got to do this. You're worshiping your efforts. Trust me, I know I'm an expert at it. When my friend Mark, he made it over a year of healthy living. It's really incredible. Lost almost 100 pounds. Um, His cholesterol level dropped below 200. His blood pressure dropped below 150. After a year, he could jog, walk, walk, jog thing for like six miles. He went back to the doctor, and the doctor was amazed. He's like, you know, you've, just by this year, you've extended your life five to ten years. And about six months later, he was not working out at all. He went from six workouts to two workouts to no, no workouts. He went from no fast food to some fast food to a lot of fast food. And I don't think it's that he didn't value his life. I think he got focused on the wrong thing. If, if we put the chart up where, where the Lord is over Pharaoh, he was serving two masters. Friend Mark. One was his efforts, or what his doctor would say, or what his workout partner would say, or, and then one was actually his life and his health and what God wanted. And Jesus says 1,500 years after Moses, uh, by the way, you guys, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the, and despise the other, or you will be devoted to one and hate the other. You just can't do it. That's what Moses was doing too. That's what my friend was doing. He wanted to start the comeback, but he kept telling himself the story about himself with this perspective. Two masters. If you're in a place of challenge right now and it's hard and you're like, I got to choose the hard to get to the good, but it's too hard. What do you serve? You focused on your efforts? Do you have two masters? Sometimes it, it, it might be easy to look at it like this. Uh, if you've ever worked at, at one of those um, 
I, I don't mean anything against like a Fitness 19 or some of these places that kind of self-serve workout places. You know, you, you go, you got to swipe your card to get in, but then you got to actually swipe it, I think, on the machine or somewhere else in the room to get actually like counted as a workout. Well, it's very interesting to see in those places, if you have insurance that, you know, if you work out 12 times a month, your insurance rate goes down. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes? No? Okay, good. A few of you. Yes. So if you work out 12 times a month, then guess what? You get, you get money off of your insurance. It's beautiful. And so, uh, you know, early in the month, there's all kinds of devoted people that are working out in those places. And then from like the 20th to the 30th, the last 10 days of the month, there's this peculiar thing that happens because people serve two masters. You could be working out, and all of a sudden somebody comes in, and they run back, and they swipe their card, and then they run to the car. And I guess that counts as the workout, you know, running to the car and then running back in, and, and it's because they serve two masters. Like, I want to serve the gods of insurance. I want a fat wallet, but I don't want to serve the gods of healthy living. No criticism, just the reality of how easy it is to serve. And that's really the third question. Maybe it could be said like this. Who will serve whom? Or, or who's really in charge of your life? Which master are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve Pharaoh? Because serving Pharaoh works. You can make bricks and you can see what you've done. And you can feel good about it. There's a lot of people. God actually invites us to work with him. God is going to invite these people who've never known a break to stop once every seven days and to know who the Lord is. And the whole thing starts in chapter 5 here when Moses goes and Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go that they may hold a festival in the wilderness. They may worship me and serve me. And Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I will do that, that I would listen to him? I will not let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. So you turn over to chapter 7, because really the next episodes of the story and all these things that we call the plagues are signs and wonders for people to know who the Lord is. God doesn't take pleasure in wicked people dying. He's not like that. He, when it says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart, it simply means he's going to confirm what's already in Pharaoh's heart. And over and over, we see this resolve of defiance. And even at the end when he's like, go, he's like, I'd rather have this God leave than actually acknowledge him. And when we get discouraged, it's so easy to not listen to God. But let's just see what God says to Moses. He says, in essence, I want to give you a new perspective so you can tell the story about yourself in a way that I, that I will write with you. He says it like this in chapter 7. The Lord says to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet, and you are to say everything I have commanded 
you and you and your brother to Pharaoh are to tell Pharaoh to let us go from this country. But I will harden his heart, and though I will multiply the signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. I will lay my mighty hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my groups, my divisions of people, my tribes of people, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Who's the Lord of your life? Who's really in charge? See, the picture that Moses is supposed to get, that God wants Moses to have, is, is the one where the Lord is Lord, the the true God. And the people that he calls, even in a place of harsh setback, he calls out. And he calls them above. Whatever we think are the most powerful people in the most powerful groups of our day. Who do you serve? Who's worthy of your service? What do you serve? What are you focused on in that place of setback? Because the one you cry out to is the one you worship, and the one that you focus on is the one that you worship. And the one that you think is above all is the one you worship. But this is a God who simply wants us all to know that he's the Lord. And at the end... Moses will know, the Israelites will know, Pharaoh will know, all of Egypt will know. In fact, the story will just be told for the rest of time that there was a group of slaves that somehow managed to escape the most powerful nation in civilization at that time. So the world will know that there's a Lord. What's the story you're telling yourself about yourself in your setback? Do you need a new perspective? Where's the Lord? Who's the Lord? Jesus gave us a way out of our setback. We don't have a Pharaoh anymore because he came to this earth and he lived his life and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead to save us from a life of perpetual setback, perpetual sin, and perpetual death. We don't have a Pharaoh. There might be a Pharaoh that you need to face. And it might be you might be the way that you're thinking about your situation. And if that's the case, just remember, God sees you. God loves you. God doesn't want you to stay there. When you want to ask when, ask where the Lord is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for, again, for your story and your word that, that 2,000 or 3,000 years ago of history is not just history. It's your story, God, and you continue to tell it. 
You continue to tell it because we continue to live it. We often find ourselves in places, God, where it seems like we can't get out or we just want to get out, but we don't want to choose the hard to get to the good. And God, I pray if we're in a place where we are discouraged or we're in a place where we are overwhelmed or we're in a place where we're asking, God, where are you or who are you? That we would stop to listen. We'd stop to answer the right questions so we can be on the road to your comeback. Holy Spirit, show us the questions and, even more importantly, the answers, and help us to stop and listen.